Here we go. You are listening to Wednesday's Law and Gospel on this January the 20th in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be talking again about CFW Walther's Lectures on Law and Gospel. He had 39 evening lectures, and we're going to be looking at lecture number 37, which means we only have two more lectures after this Wednesday. This was done on October the 2nd in 1885, and it's a preliminary introduction to Thesis 23. There's 25 altogether. So let's go through the introduction. He's talking to seminary students, and he's telling them what one of the most important categories and qualities of a pastor is, and that is to have a sincere and burning passion to carry out his office properly. Then he explains what the office is, to pluck from hell every soul that has been entrusted to him, lead it to God, make it truly godly, and bring it to heaven. He then speaks about one of his favorite hymns. And in that hymn, it says, O God, upon whose bread I feed, I wish to you I'd useful be. Now, these lectures occurred not that long after C.F.W. Walther saw the death of his wife. And therefore, a hymn like that was very, very helpful. He talks about the greatest example of someone in the Bible who had that unique quality to really bring people into heaven was the Apostle Paul. And Luther evaluates his passion when he writes, no reason can grasp this word. Now, what Walther is talking about is reason cannot grasp the word that the Apostle Paul is speaking. For he himself, for a long time, did not grasp it. He believed that he was saved by his works, and according to the works of the flesh, he was above everybody else. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He followed the ceremonial laws. He persecuted those who he thought were against God, namely Christians. And then, with great enthusiasm, with the power of the Holy Spirit, he began to recognize the truth of the words of Jesus Christ. Now, it's true that a pastor should have great enthusiasm, but this, Walther says, may be a misplaced enthusiasm. There is a false, ungodly, carnal enthusiasm that does not come from God, is not produced by the Holy Spirit, 
And in fact, he says, it may be by the pastor to lead to him looking really good in the eyes of the people. He may be quite enthusiastic in his office, but so were the high priests at the time of Christ, along with the elders of the people, the scribes, and the Pharisees. In Romans chapter 10, verse 2, Paul says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, what they teach is contrary to the will of God, but they do it enthusiastically, even to the point of putting Jesus Christ on the cross. And then there were a group of Anabaptists in Luther's day, and they would give up for their false beliefs. They gave up their house, their home, their wife, their children, and many of them preferred drowning rather than renouncing their false doctrine. So one has to be careful when we talk about a pastor needs to be enthusiastic because if the enthusiasm is on the basis on false doctrine, then they are not an orthodox teacher and the pure truth is not placed into people's hearts. Preachers of life, man-made teachings, are not restrained in their activity by their reason. For by their flesh and blood, they are all more fired up. In contrast to preachers of the pure doctrine, they are continually restrained by their reason and their flesh and their blood. Chiefly, because it is so difficult to rightly distinguish the word of truth or to separate properly law from gospel. Walther says it's easy to mingle these two doctrines against which the Apostle Paul warns every approved worker in the vineyards of God, which leads now to Thesis 23. And let me read that. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if you use the demands, threats, or promises of the law to try and force the unregenerate to put away their sins and engage in good works and thus become godly. And then on the other hand, if you use the commands of the law rather than the admonitions of the gospel to urge the regenerate to do good. See, that's a problem found in every other religion in the world outside of Christianity, where the law is used to get people to stop from sinning and to do good. Whereas in reality, according to the Bible, the true work of the law is to destroy human self-reliance and actually reduce people to a state of complete dependence on God. And that's when the gospel takes over. And those who are broken by the law 
can receive grace, faith, forgiveness, and are healed. In fact, from God's point of view, people only do good works after the gospel has worked faith in them. So, the attempt to make men God-fearing by means of the law is definitely a mingling and confusion of law and gospel. Jeremiah 31, 34 talks about the new covenant. And what it is, God says, you're not saved by your works, but I will be their God and they shall be my people for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now, how can God forget anything? He's omniscient. He knows all things. Well, the idea of no longer remembering their sin really doesn't have much to do with the memory. It has much to do with God giving consequences, negative ones, to people who sin. For example, somebody robs a bank, they go to court, and if the jury remembers what they have done and are convinced what they have done, then they have the consequence of going to jail. The only reason Adam and Eve had the law on their heart was that they knew what was pleasing to God. In the Garden of Eden, no special commandment was needed to inform them on that point. They simply willed whatever was God-pleasing. Their will, prior to the fall into sin, was in perfect harmony with the will of God. God. Yet during the time of the Old Testament covenant, even then the prophets were continually preaching the gospel and pointing to the Messiah, so that those like the Pharisees who believed that they were saved by their good works really got it wrong. God established the new covenant and he would write the law directly into the minds of believers. He would give them as David asked, create in me a clean heart, renew a pure spirit within me, so that they would not be plagued with the law and all kinds of commandments. You shall do this, you shall do that. That doesn't help matters at all. It would not help people at all. The law was not able to bring about what the gospel accomplishes, because the gospel speaks of the forgiveness of sins. In fact, those who use the letter of the law and not the promises of Jesus Christ mingle law and gospel because they substitute the law for the gospel. Romans 3.20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight of God, since through the law 
comes knowledge of sin. We've used this example of going to a doctor. No amount of diagnosis helps a person until they hear what is the treatment and gladly follow it to get rid of their illness. Paul is saying that the sole purpose of the law in regard to salvation is to reveal people's sins, not to remove them. In fact, the law increases sin. It does not kill sin. Rather, it makes it alive. For example, a parent may tell a child certain rules. And guess what? That child often will break those rules and needs discipline because just hearing the law is not sufficient motivation. If the child loves the parents and does not want to disappoint the parents, then that love can move the child to obey the rules of the household. Like I used this example before, I say to my son, I'm uh, going to the garage. I'll be there about half an hour. And while I'm gone, do not go in the basement. Well, as soon as I leave the back door to go to the garage, guess what the son is going to do? He's told he can't go in the basement. He gets curious. Why did dad say that? So he sneaks down to the basement. That's how evil lusts arrive in us. We delight to go against the law because we want to be independent. Even pagans believe what Walther is talking about. He quotes a godless Ovid, O-V-I-D, who said the following, we desire the very things that are forgiven. And therefore we say to ourselves, what? You want to deprive me of this? We can't understand why God would make such a law. But as soon as the law is proclaimed to us in its spiritual meaning, we come mean and we cry out, what you want to condemn me just because sin is stirring within me? You see, there were Christians in certain religions that said, you may have a sin of thought, but until you put it into practice, you weren't really sinning. No, it's clear that sins are not only deeds we do, but also words and thoughts that come from us. In fact, The Apostle Paul, prior to his conversion, did not really understand how the law applied to him. Now, he knew the Ten Commandments, but he did not understand their spiritual meaning. So, yes, the law is holy. The commandments are holy. But it is impossible to obey them. Now, in the Bible, a lot of times the commandments 
are spoken about as the letter. In 2 Corinthians 3, 6, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. That is usually the way rationalists and also others interpret them. They don't believe that the letter of the Holy Scripture kills. They say what these people are doing is twisting these words in an ungodly and shameful way. If it is the law that kills and therefore cannot make anyone God-fearing, it will not be able to cause us to stop this or that advice, but it cannot change our hearts. That's found even in the Old Testament, Psalm 119, verse 32. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. You see, what God looks at when you're obeying the law is your motivation. Is your motivation just to make you look important in the eyes of others and in the eyes of God? No. It becomes very aware in our minds that it is not difficult to walk in the way of God's commandments. You seem to be able to walk in some of them by your own agreement. But how foolish is a preacher who thinks, now I will let loose the thunder of the law. I will describe hell in all its detail and paint them in a real picture of damnation. And then they will shape up. Such a law does not improve people at all. The law cannot produce a change of heart, cannot produce love of God, and cannot produce proper love of other human beings. If anyone is motivated by the law to do certain good works, he's doing them only because he is forced to do them. Remember, the Israelites had to be forced by the covenant of the law to obey the law. That's why Paul was really upset when after he had visited Galatia and Christians believed what he had said, there were false teachers that came to Galatia. And so in chapter 3, verse 2, he says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? What had happened, the believing Galatians had let themselves be seduced into believing that when Paul preached salvation by faith through the grace of God, that that was incomplete. They believed it was a dangerous doctrine by which a person easily might be led into damnation. Accordingly, they accepted the false prophet's doctrine of the law because they were afraid that if you don't tell the law, then people are going to think that the sin they are doing isn't that important. Paul asked them, 
I would like to know this from you. If you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or the preaching of faith. The apostle knew that the members of the congregations in Galatia went around sad and depressed because they were uncertain of their salvation. They were like people bewitched. They thought, well, salvation is such a great treasure. One must do something great for it. That is also what our later teachers taught. So C.F.W. Walter was against this idea that the law makes up for what Christ did not do. In fact, when we preach the law and a person is struck by it, immediately one needs to preach the gospel. In other words, rationalists think that the gospel only makes people secure in their sins and that such people will not make the effort to become God-fearing. So to make God, people of God, God-fearing, these rationalist pastors preach ethics with great earnestness, as did the Pharisees. Then there's no doubt that there are people who do not believe that we are saved by grace through faith. And a preacher may say to himself, wow, in my congregation, I've got drunkards. Some of them get into fistfights. These people come to church occasionally. Rarely do they go to communion. And they refuse to contribute when a collection is taken up. And so a preacher may say to himself, wait, I have preached too much gospel to them. I have to take a different tack. I must be silent on the gospel for a while and preach nothing but the law and conditions will improve. But he is quite mistaken. There, there's no doubt that for a time, somebody may end up not doing bad things outwardly, but the motivation is because of his fear of hell, not because of his love of God. The reason, Walter says, congregations are corrupt is that a lot of their pastors do not preach the gospel. No wonder they have accomplished nothing, for the law kills, but the spirit, that is the gospel, makes alive. When the people are forced to do good works by the threats or even by the promises of the law, they are not good works because good works are only those that a person does freely out of a heart that believes in Jesus Christ. And whoever wants to achieve this result by forcing those who are unwilling is not a Christian preacher or a ruler, but a worldly jailer, putting people into the jail of the law and 
showing the threat of the law that people really are worried about. A person who has a real understanding of what Jesus Christ has done then is able to do the works of the law in a way that are motivated by his love for Jesus Christ. And apart from those works, then there is a wrong motivation. Luther writes about that, and there's no doubt. He says, the people who have the wrong motivation do not know or understand that the law requires perfect obedience of the heart. In other words, proper motivation. At a certain point, the law teaches its culmination and does its best work by bringing people to a clear knowledge and understanding that God requires perfect, heartfelt obedience from them. And that's the time that the gospel needs to be preached because when a person comes to believe how wonderful, merciful, and gracious is Jesus Christ, then they are not only willing to obey the law, but they have the proper motivation. So the idea that a preacher can change people's behavior by preaching the law alone is a confusion of law and gospel. Next week, we'll look at the 38th evening lecture. Tomorrow, on Law and Gospel, we're going to ask you the question, do you really know God? You're going to be surprised at the answer. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.